Hello, friends. Michael Youssef here. Thank you so much for connecting with Leading the Way and listening to this message. The entire team here at Leading the Way is committed to passionately proclaiming the uncompromising truth of God's Word. And it cannot be done without your prayers and your support and your partnership. Learn how God has uniquely positioned leading the way to reach a world that is in desperate need of the gospel when you visit ltw.org. That is ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. Two years ago, I preached a message about those people who have missed the first Christmas. And today I want to tell you about those who found the first Christmas. Back then, the political leaders and the powerful people missed first Christmas. Caesar Augustus missed Christmas. King Herod missed Christmas. But not only some of these powerful and mighty people and kings have missed the first Christmas, also some poor people missed the first Christmas. Some of them were the closest and the nearest to Jesus. They missed Christmas. The innkeeper was very close physically to Jesus and to Mary and Joseph, but he missed Christmas. And so today I want to tell you about two groups of people who have found Christmas. The shepherds in the field who were very close to the manger around Bethlehem area, They found Christmas. The wise men who have traveled long distances, the Magi's, they too found Christmas. In fact, these two groups of extreme contrasts, two groups of men who were on the opposite end of the spectrum of life and society, two groups of people who represent the very poor and the very rich Two groups of people who stand truly in a contrast with each other in terms of education, in terms of knowledge. Both groups, those extreme groups, they both found the first Christmas. And if that tells us anything, that whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, that Jesus is for everyone. He is for the rich and the poor and everyone in between. No one can look down their noses about another group of people and say, Christ is not for them. Christ is for everyone. In fact, I want to share with you several things. First, I want to tell you four contrasts between those two groups of people. Then I want to tell you about four similarities between those two groups of people. The first contrast between the poor shepherds and the rich and powerful scientists of the day as far as society was concerned, the shepherds were among the most desperate element of society. They really were. They were people who are absolutely mistreated. I was trying to think of a class of people that would represent, I couldn't think of any, because these folks were viewed as dishonest and crafty. Their reputation for honesty was so bad that their testimony will never be accepted in a court of law. But if you probably get the gypsies and the, and the vagrants and the con men and you roll them in one, you still won't even understand what the shepherds were like at that time. On the other hand, the wise men of the Persian Empire, 
they were the creme de la creme of society. They were the men of influence. They were treated with respect and with difference, so much so that when they arrived in Jerusalem, a totally foreign country, a country that is far away from home, when they arrived, they didn't go to the gas station to ask for directions. (laughs) They went to the king's palace. That's where they first arrived. They went in there, and listen, you've got to be a VIP to be received at Herod's palace. (laughs) I mean, you've got to be a very, very significant foreign dignitary to get the red carpet treatment. The shepherds, on the one hand, they cannot even get to the gate of Herod's palace. But these guys got a, a state dinner in their honor. The second contrast was financial. The poorest and the richest. The shepherds had nothing. They were literally one tiny step away from beggars of the day. Their income was below, way below minimum wage. When the angels told them about the birth of Jesus, they came with no gift. They had nothing to give. They brought themselves. They had nothing to bring. Back then, manual labor was far, far higher than a shepherd. On the other hand, the wise men of Persia, they were men of financial means. They had enough money to be able to travel this long distance, and it's a long distance on camels, long distance with an entourage of bodyguards and security people because you don't travel with gold and with with that kind of wealth without having a huge entourage protecting you. And they had enough money to be able to travel this long distance. Not many people could have done that. And they have arrived laden with very expensive gifts for Jesus. Then there is a third contrast, and that is contrast of education. Their education... The shepherds, they were literate. They could not even read enough to be able to read the Scripture. So all they knew about the Scripture and the prophecies and the fulfillment of the prophecy is what they heard orally from the rabbis and the teachers in the synagogues. By contrast, the Magi were famous for their knowledge, their knowledge of science, their knowledge of art, their knowledge of history, and above all, their knowledge of astronomy. They were renowned for that. They were the scientists, the top scientists of their day. So much so that when this unique star appeared to announce the birth of the Messiah, they were the first one to discover it. They were the first one to analyze it. They're the first one to understand what it means. But finally, the fourth contrast between those two groups of people is a contrast of proximity. Those of you who have traveled to Israel, you've seen the shepherd's field. It's right there at the bottom of the hill, and the manger would have been up the hill. I mean, literally, there's stone throw away. <laughs> it's just a few minutes' walk to go from where they were to come to the manger. The wise men traveled great distances. I mean, back then would have taken them several, not weeks, but months to get there because they would travel at night when it's cooler, and then they would rest in the daytime. 
And it's taken them months to get to Bethlehem. They came from the very far reaches of the world, while the shepherd only walked a few yards to the manger. And if this contrast tells us anything, it tells us that wherever you are and whoever you are, Christ is for you. Christ is for you. You can be assured that Christ is inviting you today. And this is the good news of Christmas. It's not trinkets and trees and even singing carols. It is the good news. Of, it is the great news of Christmas. You could be an important person in the eyes of society, or you could be an unimportant person in the eyes of society. It makes no difference to Jesus. You could have a high position or a low position. You could be very rich or very poor. You could be a celebrity or a cog in the wheel. You could have very little education or you can have a string of degrees after your name. It makes no difference to Jesus. You could be a person who knows Christ or know nothing about Him. You could be near Christ or you could be far away from Him. It makes no difference. None of that matter. Christ is calling you today. At this Christmas, Christ is inviting you to come to Him. Christ longs for you to turn to Him and receive Him as only Savior and as only Lord of your life. Christ is the Savior of everyone who receives Him as Savior and Lord. This is the great news of Christmas. And then if you look at those two diverse group of people, you have to find there are at least four things in common. At least four. The shepherds. And the wise men were as diverse as it comes. Shepherds and wise men were at two extremes, opposites. And yet they both came to the same Jesus. In fact, their experiences, these common experiences, manifest themselves in four ways. The shepherds and the wise men both received an invitation. And today, the invitation comes to everyone who would hear it. The invitation is whomsoever would come. They received the announcement of the birth of God's only Son. Listen to the announcement, the spectacular announcement that the shepherds heard. In Luke 2, 9, 10, and 11. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Don't rush. When you read those words, don't rush. When he talks about the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Now remember, Moses couldn't even look at the Shekinah glory. He could not see the glory of God. Moses, the favored prophet. And yet, God chose to show these humble shepherds his Shekinah glory. And the, the Lord's glory shone around them. And the angel said to them, you've got to understand that this glory was so terrifying. There is no doubt they were probably shaking like a leaf. What is this? I mean, it's nothing ever in experience like this. And the angel, the first thing he said to them, he didn't make the announcement first. He said, don't be terrified. <laughs> don't be afraid. They were fearful. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. As if that was not enough. This says more angels showed up. Can you imagine probably millions of them up in the sky? Verse 13, and they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
It was a sight and sound that is dazzling. On the other hand, the announcement to the wise men was not like that. Probably if they saw something like that, they might not have been moved. Or, These are intellectual men. These are men of science. These are men that are thinking men. And make no mistake about it, God does not speak to two of us the same way. He speaks to each of us individually. He knows of what we meant. He knows our thinking. He knows our differences. He knows our thoughts. He knows whether we are emotional or intellectual. And He deals with us and He speaks to us in a way that is relevant to us. That's the way the Lord works. And so, to these intellectual men, it was equally spectacular, His invitation, but it was different. These men of science who have been poring over the books and reading of the prophecies of Daniel that he left in the Persian Empire. And they are studying the stars. They're spending hours gazing into the heavens. The Lord spoke to them differently from the way he spoke to the shepherd. There was a special configuration, that overlapping of the planet, that brought literally the Shekinah glory again. I have in my book, The Greatest Lie, I have a chapter in which I explain all of that. You see, that particular star brought them to the very house where Jesus was born. Two different revelations. And yet, in both cases, they recognize that something significant, that the divine Son of God has become man, that God is showing up in the world. He's revealing Himself in the world. And remember this, for 400 years, there has been no revelation from God. Ever since the prophet Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, there has now been no prophecy, no word from the Lord, no revelation. And people were sitting in darkness, and they're wondering, when? When is the Messiah going to come? And yet the poor shepherds heard the angels make that announcement, and by the same token... The intellectual scientists saw a definable, unusual, unheard of star of the overlapping of the planets. Now, beloved, today we don't see that. We don't see the angels singing. We don't see the the look up the stars and try to figure it out. But you see, today, God speaks to us through His Word. You can open the Scripture anywhere in the Scripture and you read the good news of Christmas. Either Christ is coming in the Old Testament or He has come in the New Testament. That's how God communicates the good news in His Word. And one of the tragedies of our time today is that 80% of those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ never crack a Bible. What despots could not accomplish is accomplished by so-called Christians today by not reading the Word of God. God speaks to us today, to everyone, everywhere, through His Word. He's announcing the good news that the baby born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago is the only Savior and the only Lord and the only way to heaven. Will you come to Him if you have never Receive this invitation. He's inviting you today. Will you receive him, receive him as master and the captain of your life? It's one thing to say, I'm a Christian. But is he really running your life or are you running your own life? 
Because you cannot say that He is Savior unless you obey Him as Lord. And the second similarity is this. They both were invited. That's the first similarity. Both groups responded to the invitation. They responded to the invitation. Can you imagine either the shepherds or the wise men turning down the invitation of the king of the universe, the God of gods? Can you imagine that? It would have been impossible. This is an unprecedented invitation. This is a unique invitation. This is a great honor. Some people literally don't sleep at night when they get invited to Buckingham Palace or the White House and excited. But this is the King of Kings and the Lord of all lords. This is an invitation from the Creator of the world. This is an invitation from the God of gods. Imagine, imagine, try to imagine the shepherds after seeing this spectacular sound and sight and and incredible voices of the angels. And then they said, well, you know, I just, uh, uh, yeah, we saw this announcement, but we're really not worthy of it. It's for people who are worthy of it. Uh, You know, we heard that announcement, but uh, we're not ready for it yet. Oh, let's just wait. Uh, Or or we heard the announcement, but it's not for folks like us. It's for these folks over there. It's religious people. It it, it really should be for those who are running the Sanhedrin. We heard the announcement, but let's not respond. We've heard the announcement, but we have nothing to give. We're going to go empty-handed, so might as well. Let's just wait. Imagine that. It would have been impossible. Or can you imagine these wise men? After they saw in the sky, unprecedented, never heard of in all the history of astronomy, they saw this unique star announcing the birth of the divine Son of God. Imagine them saying to themselves, yeah, this is a spectacular thing for sure, but it's too far to go. Let's just kick our shoes and watch television. You know... It's just too much bother. I mean, just think about how the heat of the day and the cool at night and, and just think about the long journey and think about all the stuff and then they kind of sit back and, and, and don't go. Or he said, you know, we may be mistaken. Or we may be just really not reading this right. Or maybe others saw the same thing. Let them respond. <laughs> Why should we respond? Uh, we know from our studies that this is God's only son. This is the one that Daniel had written about. And the time is just perfect from the, the time he announced and everything is just right. But uh, let the Jews celebrate it. But they didn't. Both groups responded to the invitation. What about you? You may have responded to the invitation back when you were younger, in high school maybe. But now you're too intellectual and too bright and you're a college student now and and, and you really don't buy into that story. Tell me a better story and I'll buy it. (laughs) Tell me about an announcement that was made more than 6,000 years before his birth and then kept on being announced by everybody throughout those 6,000 years. And then he finally arrived. Tell me something that I can understand more than that. None. None. I've read them. I know the religions. I know what they teach. None of them offer that hope. 
that God of very God became man of very man. Some of you are living in quiet desperation. You're into religion, into churchianity, but you're really not throned him on the throne of your heart as the only captain of your ship. You've known and heard that only Jesus can give you that peace and joy and eternal life after death. What's your excuse? You hear God's voice speaks to you at different times through different people. You heard it. Come to me. I am the only one who can take away your sin and guilt. Come to me. I'm the only one who can save you eternally. I am the only one who died that so I can pay for the wages of your sins and for your punishment. I'm the only one who shed my blood so that you may have that curse upon you lifted so that you can come to the Father through me and me alone. You probably heard it before, but then you rejected it. Let me warn you, you either going to receive him as Savior today, this Christmas season, or one day you're going to have to face him as judge. And that's why the Bible talks about when you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't let callous build up. How do you get a callus in your skin, in your, in your, in your head? You just rub for a long period of time. And all of a sudden, you'll have a callus where there's no feeling anymore. Let me warn you, if that happens spiritually, sooner or later you're going to face him as judge. Accept his invitation. He's calling you today. Then there's a third similarity between these two groups of men of extreme contrast. The intellectual and the uneducated. The rich and powerful and those who have no influence at all. They both, when they received the invitation, they obeyed the invitation. They came to Christ. Regardless of the distance, regardless of the background, they came and they found the Savior. This is the apex of the two stories. The shepherds found what the angel told them in the field, and the wise men found the object of the meaning of that unusual star that is nothing like it in history. Neither of them was disappointed. Neither of them was misled. Neither of them was deceived. Neither of them was dismayed. Neither of them was regretful for obeying the invitation. And beloved, it's the same today. It's the same today. It's the same with every one of us. Ask anyone who have received Christ as Savior, anyone who came to Christ and obeyed Him as Lord in their life, ask anyone who have responded to that invitation. Anyone, I challenge you, I challenge you to find someone who would say, I regret becoming a believer. Find someone who would say, I regret becoming a believer in Jesus. Uh, you know, I long for the life of sin and the chains of sin and addiction and misery. I wish I could go back to the life of guilt and shame and pain. Find someone and say, I regret becoming a Christian. I regret making Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Or I regret responding to his invitation.
I challenge you, it's impossibility. Back on Wednesday, March 4th, 1964, I responded to Jesus' invitation in my life. I can tell you, even in the darkest and the most desperate hours of my life, and I have seen few days like that, not one time have I ever regretted receiving Jesus as the Savior and Lord of my life. Not one time. In fact, it's the opposite. In those times, he was the only friend that I could have. He's the only one who lit the darkness in my life. He's the only one who lifted the loads. He's the only one who comforted me in many a broken times. He's the only one who can truly wipe away my tears. He gave me joy in many a joyless days. He guided me out of many a quagmires in life. He cleansed me from my sin and my failure. He answered many of desperate prayers. I'll make you a promise. You'll never look back. You'll never look back. The moment you surrender your life to Christ. What they had in common is that they, both groups, received the invitation. Both groups obeyed the summon to come to the Christ of Christmas. And the third is that they both groups found the Savior. No disappointment. And then the fourth similarity between the two groups of men who of extreme, extreme contrast, opposite sides of the spectrum, is that when they found the Savior, they worshipped Him. They worshipped Him as Lord. In Matthew 2.11, it says, The wise men, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped Him. It's in the masculine pronoun. They worshipped Him. They did not worship His blessed mother. They worshipped Him. In Luke 2.20, it says, When the shepherd heard the news and came to Christ, they worshipped God. Beloved, to know the Lord is to bow to Him alone. To know His grace is to surrender your all to Him alone. To experience His unconditional love is to live for Him alone. Not a divided life. Not a divided loyalty. I was thinking about how so many of us take the Christmas story for granted. We hear it often. It becomes kind of, well, every year we hear the story and, and we become accustomed to it. And I thought of how unthinkable it was at the time. How unthinkable it is today. To think of the God of very God who sprinkled the galaxies with the stars, who created the sun and the moon and the earth and all, everything, become man. And yet, I thought of a story that the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, that he tells in his generation and his time, in trying to illustrate what that means to the minds of, of the folks that he worked with. And he told this story. He said there was a, a mighty king who had fallen hopelessly in love with a beautiful maiden. 
The only difference is we were not beautiful when Christ loved us. She's a subject. She's under his authority. He's a king. But he has one major problem. She was poor. She was low class. She is powerless and helpless. She doesn't come from a highly respected or well-known family. How can he, as the king, pursue such a poor commoner? Should his entourage descend on her little hut, blowing trumpets, and that would dazzle her? Should he dazzle her with his royal crown and all of his titles? Should his minion parade his wealth and as he comes in and kneel and ask her hand in marriage? Should he simply demand to betroth her? After all, he's a sovereign king and she is a commoner. She's poor. She had no choice. But he did none of that because he reasoned in his mind, if I use my rightful authority... How would he can be ever sure that she really loves him for himself? Or because of his titles, and because of his power, or because of his wealth. And so ultimately this wise king chose to lay aside his crown. He chose to lay aside his riches. He chose to lay aside his glory. And then he showed up in the woods as her equal, as a homeless man as a poor man, disguising himself as a beggar, first seeking her acceptance and then her love. I know no illustration that is perfect. I know that. But if any of you say, Michael, this is silly. This is, this is unthinkable. You would be exactly right. <laughs> it's unthinkable because on that first Christmas, God did the unthinkable. For God, the Almighty God, to step out of His splendor And took our human weaknesses. He forsook the trappings of his might and his power and his glory to become a helpless Jewish baby. See, unthinkable. Why? So that everyone who would respond to his love be elevated to his divinity and his power. Will you hear his invitation? Will you respond to the invitation? You might never have another chance of hearing that invitation again. Life is so uncertain for all of us. Will you find Him today? Will you worship Him? Will you allow Him to transform your life today? He loved you enough to lay aside the splendor and the glory. Come to earth as an embryo in a virgin's womb died for our sin on a criminal's cross, rose again to assure us of eternal life. Will you accept his proposal, his invitation? Shall we pray? Only you and God in heaven know whether you have just wanted an insurance policy and say, Jesus is my Savior, and yet you're not obeying him as Lord, which is really meaningless. You cannot Have him as Savior without him being Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Only you know where you stand. And I plead with you in this very important time of the year, in this celebration 
of God becoming man, that you take a moment, examine your life, examine yourself. Where are you? First question God ever asked Adam and Eve is, where are you? Not that God doesn't know where you are. But if that question is ringing in your ear at this very moment, say, hey, I am Lord. I accept your invitation. I bow to you and worship you. Will you do that? Our Father, it's never going to be easy for us to comprehend what you have done on that first Christmas until we come to heaven and see you face to face. And even then, we're going to be spending eternity just mesmerized by that incredible action. And so, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will penetrate deep in every heart who's listening. That, Father, you promise that your word will not return to you void, and therefore, it is our confidence is in that word that you will guide the lost all the way home. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.